So in Acts 2 through 6, the gospel was being preached in Jerusalem, and thousands were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. The reaction from the Jewish leaders, though, was persecution, and we saw that in Acts chapter 6 and 7. So what we saw last week in Acts chapter 8, it's kind of a twist of a verse, but what Saul meant for persecution, for evil, God meant for persecution to be good for these two reasons. Except the apostles, those that could, left Jerusalem as a result of that persecution and were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, preaching the gospel as they went. Jesus told them they were supposed to be doing this, but they, they weren't. You know, they were staying in Jerusalem, so God forced them out. In particular, we heard last week that Philip went to Samaria where he healed those that were lame, paralyzed, and demon-possessed, and he proclaimed Messiah to them. Now, I, uh, I don't watch much television. Matter of fact, we, I mean, we got rabbit ears, uh, but I know one of the shows that on that everybody's talking about, and, uh, and that's CSI. And I don't know, I got CSI everything. It seems like everything is, you know, all police shows and, and uh, you know, how do you, how do you prove a point and everything like that. And uh, I don't, we don't watch it. Marianne and I don't, you know, we rarely watch television. Uh, one of the few times we watch television is when the Kentucky Derby is, is running or something like that, and you hear all the talking heads, that's it. Um, but the title of the message today is The Case of Simon the Sorcerer. So we've got a mystery going here, and what we're going to try to do is work our way through this as we go through uh, several verses in Acts, starting with chapter, or verse 8. So let's pray, first of all. Heavenly Father, we go through life thinking we're doing good. We go through life thinking that just because things are going well with the world, that we're, we must be being blessed by you. Uh, but Lord, we, we just pray this morning that you'd help us to see uh, that all that, that looks good isn't necessarily good. So Lord, we, uh, we ask you to help us to not just look at Simon the Sorcerer, but Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to look at ourselves as well, especially because your Holy Spirit wants to work in our hearts today. That's why you brought us all here together. So Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified and what we read from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to understand that I've plagiarized on this, uh, but I've tried to give you the book and chapter and verse on each time that I plagiarized. You know, this is all God's word, and, and it's only God's word that matters. Uh, it's not my opinion, not any commentator's opinion. It, it's what God's opinion is. So why don't we look into God's word, starting uh, in verse 9 of Acts chapter 8. And the text for today introduces a man named Simon. So starting in verse 9, a man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and was astounded and had astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then even Simon himself believed. And after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he, as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being done uh, were being performed. So we, what we see here is that Simon the sorcerer believed, he was baptized, and constantly followed Philip. In other words, he, he went to church because Philip was all there was there. Uh, how many of us think, well, that person says they believe, they've been baptized, and they're here all the time. They must be saved. And what a fantastic testimony that the power of God changed the man who was a sorcerer. What, isn't that great? I mean, you know, you've got to think about how great that is. 
uh, you know, a lot of people come around and they tell you what their, what their, you know, how much sin they were in, and you know, they itemize everything, and I think, wow, you know, God really did a work in them. Well, uh, then uh, starting in verse 14, we read that Peter and John got involved. So when the apostles were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had welcomed God's message, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them, so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet come down on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, why? Well, we need to realize that the Jews, contrary to God's word, were raised to believe that only Jews could enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's with, you know, these Samaritans? You know, that can't be. Well, to think otherwise, other than what they were raised to believe, the Jews required proof. In particular, they required a sign from God. So uh, they sent Peter and John. I mean, it was only Philip's word up to this point. Uh, they always said you need, uh, you know, at least two or three witnesses to establish something. I mean, that was, that was in their scripture. So although it's not stated in this text, speaking in tongues was the sign mentioned for God's acceptance into his kingdom of both Jews and Gentiles during this transition period in the book of Acts. And we, uh, we heard about that last week. Uh, so our text does not mention whether tongues were spoken in Samaria, but Peter and John were giving some sign by God uh, that the Samaritans had also received the Holy Spirit. God doesn't always work in the same way all the time. All right, returning to our text in verse 18. Peter discovered a problem. So here we have this great testimony, and Peter says, hmm, what's going on here? When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power too so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy, Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God should be obtained with money. The pastor says we don't like to use the word hell. Uh, maybe the translators here didn't want to use the same the word hell, but commentators said that what he really said in the Greek was, you and your money can go to hell. So. Uh, it doesn't sound here like Peter thinks that Simon is going to heaven. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Now we read that uh, Peter and John had laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That kind of reminds me of Jesus when the, the woman with the issue of blood came and she just touched Jesus' garment and, and uh, Jesus could feel a power going through him. Uh, now maybe, uh, maybe Peter went up to, or, or John, you know, went up to Simon and they laid hands on him and nothing happened. I don't know what the sign was. But we know here that Peter said, you have not received the Holy Spirit, you are not one of his, uh, and because of your thinking that you could buy it, uh, you know, you obviously have the wrong heart. So clearly Peter was convinced that Simon wasn't a true believer in spite of verse 13 saying that Simon himself believed, was baptized, even though he was following Stephen all around. All right, isn't believing in Jesus enough? Well, to be blunt, no. Uh, we read in James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. Uh, believing here is something I like to sort out in this way. To believe in is an intellectual decision based on human wisdom. If I were to do that, it would be based on my wisdom. Uh, to believe on is really an unnatural decision that puts my life on the line. So there's a difference between believing in and believing on. I've got to put my life on the line. So as the story goes, and there is a modern story. You can go to Niagara Falls today, and you can read about this on the wall. Uh, in the 1860s, uh, there was a guy named Charles Blondin. Uh, actually, he was a French uh, acrobat. 
And uh, he had blonde hair, and so they call him Blondin. So he took on the name Charles Blondin. He would walk across the tightrope, stretched across, and it depends on what version you use. Either it's either the Whirlpool, which you know was a real thing back then, or the Horseshoe Falls, depends on who's telling the story. At any rate, before he would do that, he'd ask how many believed he could do it. And everybody cheered, because he'd done it before. And they said, well, yeah, go on. I want to see it. But then he asked who would ride on his shoulders. So you've got to put your life on the line to do that. You could have heard a pin drop. Only two people, you know, according to these various stories, only two people ever believed in Blondin enough to put their lives on the line. One was his manager, and one was his mother. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's all, that's all this message has to do with Mother's Day. It's, you know, to have your, to trust your, your son that much. So, uh, to truly belong on the Lord Jesus Christ requires a supernatural revelation. It really does. And it's also an unnatural decision that puts your life on the line. And, uh, you know, here's a few verses that stress, you know, the magnitude of believing on Jesus. Okay, the first one uh, is just a verse that I love because it has a word on in it. Uh, Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All right. And to get an idea of what on means, Romans 12.1, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. And there is a text that reveals the source of that, ne that necessary uh, supernatural belief. So, I mean, it's not anything that I can do, otherwise it'd be natural. So it's gotta be something unnatural. So what's the source? Well, we read in Matthew uh, 16, verses 15 through 17. But you, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Jesus responds, though, and this is, this is the key. Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So when you think back of the time that, that you decided to make Jesus Christ uh, the Lord of your life, uh, was it something that your parents wanted you to do, or was it something that God revealed to you? Uh, I think I've mentioned to you that I, you know, I thought I was a very accomplished sinner, uh, I kind of took pride in it, you know, when I got saved. But it was that day when I first really heard, maybe I'd heard it before, but I never heard it, you know. Maybe down here I didn't hear it. Is that it was God that I was sinning against. And that's, that's a revelation that you need. So when we do something wrong, I mean, you know, here's a clue right here. When you do something wrong, do you look around? Did anybody see me do that? Or do you realize that God, you know, sees everything? Well, the question comes down is to what we believe about God. So consider this. People create God in their own image. You know, you, you heard it the other way around in the Bible that God created man in his own image. Well, we turn around and we say, well, if I were God, this is what I would have said, or this is what I would have done. Now, R.C. Sproul uh, wrote a book about two years ago called Everyone's a Theologian. Now, actually, it's a book on Bible doctrine, but you know, just the title itself kind of triggered my mind. It, it implies that everybody has their own opinion of God, and everybody does. Uh, I ran into a fellow who's uh, in the Baha'i faith. They call it faith, and what they did is they put together uh, from all sorts of scripture uh, what they considered to be truth. So they would pick something over here, something over there, something over there. And so what they did is they, they created their own God. Uh, of course, there's no hell. Of course, everybody goes to heaven. And of course, their sin doesn't matter. Uh, you know, all these things. But, so, and when you think about it, uh, they're not the only ones. You know, we all have our opinion on what God would, would say or do. And so consequently, that's why there's a lot of religions. And why there, even in each religion, if you want to call Baptist a religion, why there's so many different denominations. Because people are thinking, well, we want to do it this way or we want to do it that way. 
whereas the source ought to be the Bible, ought to be the Holy, Holy Scriptures. Now, back in Jesus' time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there they were, they were both in Jerusalem, and they had separate ideas. Uh, the Pharisees were the conservatives. Go by the law. Not, not only can't you go into the road, but, but I got this, this uh, chalk across the driveway. The kids can't go past that, that chalk. You know, I mean, they had rules that you couldn't do anything. And, and the, uh, the Sadducees were liberals. You know, they, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in uh, life after death. They didn't believe in, in uh, resurrection. Uh, so, they, you know, they threw a lot of things out that God talked specifically about. Each pagan culture has their separate religious idea of what God is like. So here's what we ought to be asking. Is our opinion of God based on our culture, based on our tradition, or our intellect? What my mom and dad told me? What a guy at work told me? I mean, is it based on that? Uh, can, I mean, if you think you can reason somebody into heaven, uh, you know, we got a problem. That's what we're going to be talking about here. So the question is, our opinion of God based on the truth, the other side of the story, uh, to us by the Holy Spirit from the Word of God, and that's where we ought to be. I mention religion because there's a difference between religion and a relationship with God as defined in God's Word. Every religion has a list of things that must be done to avoid judgment. You know, think about it. You know, I don't know where you came from, but that's the way it was when I was, when I was uh, going to, to church. Church then was a building. Church wasn't the group of us together. So, in reality, uh, religion is a system of works. Now, here's what God thinks about works. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace. Some people describe grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, G-R-A-C-E. But it's a gift uh, through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is God's gift, not from works so that anyone could boast. If I earn my way to heaven, I could say, wow, I'm great. Uh, We can't do that. Uh, I don't even get close. friend of my work, uh, there's a big religion around today that says, you know, I, I get up here and, uh, you know, I'm trying to reach the peak, but I fall short, and God helps me over the top. No, 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 we're not, we're not even getting off the ground. Uh, it's important to realize that. Now, what God offers is a relationship generated by his work in us. First John 4.10, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And you say, what in the world does that word propitiation mean? Well, I got a nice verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one, that's Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us. In other words, he carried our sin like the, like the, uh, the goat. Uh, what they call that goat? So they, they put all the sins of Israel off and they sent them in the scapegoat. Uh, he, he carried our sins. He died for our sins. Sent his son to be, let's see, a propitiation uh, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we're going to be going through this. Uh, who deserves to die for my sin? Me. Who deserves to die for your sin? You. So there's no way for any of us to beat on the door of heaven and say, let me in. And it's only because Jesus died for our sins that we even have the possibility of going to heaven. So John 3:16, for God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, consider Jesus' discussion about religion with the Samaritan woman at the well. We covered that a few weeks ago. Uh, John 4, 21 to 24, I'm talking about religion here. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain, and that was Mount Gerizim, you know, right, right uh, outside of the, uh, the village of Sychar, uh, nor in Jerusalem. So he says, not even the people in Jerusalem are going to be worshiping in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, or 
Yeah, and we worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. In other words, it's through the promises that came through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, all the way through. Uh, but an hour is coming, and now, it is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. They say, well, that's nice short words, but what does it mean to worship God in spirit? Well, John 3, 5 through 7, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be ashamed or do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. So that's where the term born again means. Are you a born again Christian? Have you been born of the Spirit? Now, to see where that goes, you know, pastors, I mean, everybody knows this. I mean, pastor brings it up, you know, constantly, but, but communication is necessary to have a personal relationship. Now, you can't say that you know somebody really well if you don't bother to talk to them. And, you know, and you got to have a conversation, it's got to, be, got to be both ways. So, now, worship, however, is part of a close personal relationship. So there's a difference between a relationship and a close relationship. So being born again by the Spirit of God is necessary to have a spiritual relationship with God. That's essential. Reading Scripture and praying and both of those with the Holy Spirit's guidance, is God's way to tell us how to have a close, personal, and worshipful relationship with Him. So it's not just a matter of being here on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> it's just not, not, not a matter of just like men's Bible studies. I mean, we have a study on Tuesday morning, we have a study on Thursday night. Uh, you know, I mean, just because you go to something, uh, and then, you know, God meets you there, you know, God ought to, a close relationship is something that's 24-7. <clears throat> All right, well, that's, uh, that's what it means to worship God in spirit. You know, we have to be alive spiritually, and, we have, and this has to be something that happens all the time. It's not, it's not just scheduled. Well, what does it take to worship God in truth? <clears throat> to worship God in truth, duh, we've got to know the truth. Okay? To know the truth, you've got to look for truth. And you're not going to look at, you're not going to find it in, in the Hindu Vedas or, you know, some, some of these old documents they say that are older than the Bible. And, and uh, you know, that's, where, no, that's not where you look for truth. Matter of fact, there was a fellow that I knew, this Baha'i uh, worship uh, leader, actually. Uh, he says, have you ever heard of the seeker? As I said, you had to seek for truth. Uh, you ever heard of the seeker? Uh, oh, no, he said, are you a seeker? Well, I didn't know this, but apparently on the internet, uh, there's a site you know, called The Seeker. <clears throat> and you can ask any question you want. And he, you know, he finally told me, you know, this is, this is the Baha'i website. And he said, for instance, what, what, what's a good question? I said, okay, uh, what's truth? He had all kinds of, of things that you know, people defined you know, what truth was. None of them were for the Bible. So we know, now I'll get down to that. You know what, the, you know what I'm going to say. So there's only one book in the Bible, or I'm sorry, there's only one book in the Library of Congress. They got millions of books. There's only one book that's going to tell you how you can find the truth about salvation and about worshiping God. Guess what book that is? That's the Bible. You don't need to look at anything else. You don't need to look at philosophers. You don't need to look at, uh, you know, theologians or anything like that. Uh, a th theologian hopefully will reference the Bible, but it's really the Bible that defines things. So in uh, Psalm 119, 160, the entirety of your word is truth. And the entire Bible points us to the source of truth. You want to know truth? John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we need help understanding. I mean, there's so much truth in the Bible. How does all this fit together? Well, we have help. 
John 16, 30, uh, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So we got to understand here that, that it's not something that I'm going to be able to understand all by myself. It's not words of wisdom from man that's important. It's how God fits things together. And so you've you got to get all around the Bible, and you've got to find out how all these verses fit together, and the only way to do that is with the Holy Spirit's help. All right. Let's get back to our text to find out why I mention all this. Regarding Simon, God inspired Peter to say in Acts 8:20 20 and 21, May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought the gift of God could be obtained with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. You have no part with the Holy Spirit. You are heading for destruction. Now let's look. This is the case of Simon the sorcerer. Let's look for some clues to what God saw in Simon the sorcerer. All right, now today you're going to get a real short view of the four you know, essential doctrines in the Bible that we're going to see that Simon fell short in. All right, regarding... Okay, the first one is Simon the sorcerer uh, had the wrong view of God. All right, now we call this the doctrine of theology. So theology isn't everything. Theology just has to do with the study of God. So... Uh, you're heading for destruction because you think God can be bought. Remember what we read about Simon's control over people. Uh, our text that we read before, uh, Acts 9, you know, 8, 9 through 11. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in his city and astounded the Samaritan people. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. They were attentive to him because he astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. Legend has it that Simon a sorcerer used demonic powers such as levitation to astound the Samaritan people. I mean, if somebody all of a sudden raised off the ground and started talking to you, you'd be astounded too, wouldn't you? Uh, not recognizing this is really a demonic power that, that enables this. Simon must have viewed Philip as a fellow sorcerer. He had this in mind. You can only do things like this if you, you know, have some kind of, some kind of a power that you're using, a natural power. So he must have viewed Philip as a fellow sorcerer who had another set of spiritual powers from his God. Ooh. And in Acts 8, 6 through 7, the crowd paid attention with one mind to what Philip said. And they heard and they saw the science he was performing for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame and healed. Simon was even more impressed when people received the Holy Spirit after Peter laid hands on him, man, he's, he's seeing all kinds of things that he was never able to do. He wants his PhD in sorcery. He's after this. Now, it was common between sorcerers, and Simon thought that he could buy this power from Peter to improve his own ability to control people. He hadn't forgotten about that. What Simon didn't understand is there was nothing he could give that Philip's God needed. I mean, God created everything. What does he need? You're going to give him something? Oh, that's why works doesn't fit in. Uh, we're not going to give God anything about what we do or, or anything we, uh, we, we say. It, it's only what he does through us. So what Simon didn't understand was that Philip's God is the one and only and infinitely significant, all-powerful, all-knowing God. We, we have songs, you know, sing about, uh, you know, our, our Redeemer, our Sustainer. I mean, we have everything, you know, we name all the attributes of God. He's the creator and sustainer of the whole universe. He doesn't just create us and then just let us float along randomly. He controls things because he has a purpose for the human race. And that all of creation was meant to glorify Philip's God, so God does this to glorify himself, and no one else. Who deserves glory except the one who created everything? Simon was interested in using the Holy Spirit to glorify himself, not in being used by the Holy Spirit to glorify God. What Simon didn't understand is that Philip's God was perfectly content before the creation. He had perfect fellowship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of them had perfect communication with each other. They had, they had a 
the, the same plan. They're all on the same page, all on the same frequency, and they had a purpose for creation. He did not create mankind because he was lonely. That's something that, you know, some churches will tell you, you know, that the only reason God created you is because he, he needs you. The creator of the universe needs us. Uh, you know, we even think about that and we don't believe that. He created man to enjoy fellowship with himself. What Simon didn't understand is that Philip's God did not exist for our pleasure or our purposes, but that man was created for God's own pleasure and for God's own purposes. Some people had a right fear of God. The Israelites feared the thunder and lightning on Mount Sinai. The Philistines feared the Ark of the Covenant. Isaiah feared God. So as Isaiah 6.1, in the year that Uzziah, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple. You know, all of a sudden, something bigger than life, I mean, bigger than you can imagine, uh, uh, shows up in front of you, you would be humbled. You gotta recognize your place before this infinite God. In Isaiah 6, 5, he recognized his own sin when he said, then I said, woe is me for I am a I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So you recognize that God is all and I am, I'm a problem. Maybe I'm a stain on a carpet or something. I mean, he recognizes, uh, you know, his sin before God. Simon had no fear of God. He viewed God as a force to be used. Simon's faith was based on a wrong view of God. Okay, we've kind of ground Simon into the ground here, uh, but before we think that our theology is so much better than Simon's, uh, how often do we bring God down to our level by praying to God to bless our plans rather than ask how we are to be part of the master's plan? How often do we ask God for direction only when our plan doesn't work, rather than ask him for guidance first. If I need you, I'll call you. <laughs> Are we really that sure that our way is gonna be so much better than what God's way is? I mean, even if something comes out well for us, it might not come out well for everybody. And God wants to make sure that everything works together. Uh, in Matthew 11:28 to 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the way our view of God should be. Well, the second clue, it's going to go quicker. Simon the sorcerer had a wrong view of man. Okay, for those of you who uh, come on Tuesday morning, you'll recognize this as the doctrine of anthropology. Theology is the study of God. Anthropology is the study of man. Uh, Simon considered himself to be great among men and accepted being called the great power of God. Because we read in Acts uh, 8, 9 through 13, a man named Simon claimed to be somebody, I'm just pulling some, some words out of this whole sequence here, claimed to be somebody great, and this man is called the great power of God. Man, he, he was up there. At least in his mind, he was up there. Simon wanted to increase his power over others. Acts uh, 8, 19, give me this power too, so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Hey, I don't, I'm not content anymore, I want more. So there was no humility in Simon and influential power of people f over people fed his pride. Uh, here's, what God's, here's God's opinion of pride. Uh, Luke 18, 10 through 14. You're familiar with the story. Two men went up to the temple complex to, uh, temple complex to pray. Uh, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector himself, standing afar off, would not even raise his head to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, turn your wrath from me. I am a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You've heard the phrase, the ground is level at the cross. None of us consider ourselves less of a sinner or more of a sinner. Either you are obeying God or you're not. So it's not a question of, we talked about this Thursday night, I think. Is there a hell number one or a hell number two or a hell number 27? You know, you look at somebody and say, you know, he's, he's a worse sinner than I am. Fine, but we're all sinners. Justin Martyr, uh, in around 100 AD, uh, referred to a statue in Rome labeled Simon, the Holy God. And Justin Martyr said Simon was from Samaria. So this, this Simon we're talking about here is not just a, a little guy in Samaria. He was well known throughout the Roman Empire, enough to have a statue in Rome. Simon didn't recognize his insignificance before an infinitely powerful God. Simon's faith was based on a wrong view of God and a wrong view of man. Before we think that our anthropology uh, is so much better than Simon's, uh, do we really think of ourselves as servants of others? Do we get upset when others expect us to serve them and don't even say thanks? That's a fairly common feeling, isn't it? Well, in Matthew 20, 25 to 28, but Jesus called them over, his disciples. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Um, how often do we think that somebody owes us service? Um, I, I really don't like cartoons, but there was a, there was a Dennis the Menace, I think. I, I don't remember what it was this morning. Anyway, the, uh, Mother's Day, you know, we're going to take you out to dinner. And, and first thing the kids think about, it, where's my waiter? You know, I wanted to order. And... What is this? I mean, that's not the kind of attitude we should have with people who are serving us. Whether it's a nurse in a hospital, you know, whether it's a, a, a waitress or waiter, you know, at a, at a restaurant. So we need to make sure that our attitude is one of service, not Simon's attitude of being above others. Well, there's a third clue that we have. And... Uh, Simon the sorcerer had a wrong view of sin. And that's got a really fancy name, and I, I really don't know the origin of this one. It's called homardiology. And, and apparently, homardi or whatever uh, stands for sin. I, I don't know. Pastor would probably tell you. All right. Simon was closely taking notice of the things that Philip was doing that he couldn't do. He was taking notes. Acts 8.13, and after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Here's my, my Christmas list. You know, here's the thing I want for Christmas. And Simon was coveting what Peter and John were doing that he couldn't do. In uh, verses 18 and 19, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power too. Simon didn't recognize his own sin of envy and pride. Simon misunderstood the consequences of sin. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Indeed, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, and his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made him hide his face from you and he does not listen. I could have pulled this verse out 
you know, this morning in Sunday school. But, but the point is that we, it's not God that moved away from us. It's us. It's, it's we that moved away from him. So most of us think that we're basically good. You know, why are you picking on me? Don't, don't you realize all these good things about me? And of course, other people expect you to respond the same way. But we don't. You know, we're, we're willing to look at their shortcomings. It's only God working through us that produces good fruit. It's not anything good in me. It's only what God does in each one of us. Simon's faith was based on a wrong view of God, a wrong view of man, and a wrong view of sin. I think three strikes was enough, but we got another one coming up here. But before we think that our homardiology, you know, our, 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 our doctrine of sin, is so much better than Simon's, how often do we consider ourselves better than others? Romans 3.23 says all, all, let's uh, see in the Greek, uh, what does that mean, Pastor? All. It means all. <laughs> all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How often do we consider ourselves worthy of God's blessings? Ooh. Man, I, I, went, I studied my whole lesson for, for Bible study. Wow, you know, God's got to do wonders for me. Now, our work, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. If I'm doing this so that I can look better at Bible study, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. If I'm, on the other hand, looking for ways that my life can be improved through God's help, you know, through his direction, uh, that's different. But sin, the wages of sin is death. How often do we criticize sin in others but justify our own sins? Well, the whole idea of acceptable sins comes up. The uh, Bible says we're not supposed to be taking drugs. We're not supposed to be dependent on anything, you know, except for Jesus Christ. I think I'll meddle here, just, 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 just a little second. I, I think about that every time I drink coffee. Why am I drinking this? Now, there was a time when I had to drink coffee. If you have to drink coffee, you're going to be on, in trouble when you go on a mission trip because you're not going to get enough on the airplane on the way over there. And maybe they don't have coffee for you. And you're just going to have a, a terrible headache for two weeks. I've been there. I've done that. I don't want to go back. All right, but we criticize other people. I mean, I'm not talking about coffee. I mean, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the way you tie your shoes or, you know, stupid things. But what does Matthew 7, 3 say? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own eye? We're supposed to be looking at ourselves. The old adage, when you point to somebody else, how many fingers are pointing back at you? You know? So Simon had a problem with this issue of sin. So he had the wrong idea, the wrong view of God, he had the wrong view of man, and he had the wrong view of sin. The final clue I got for today, Simon the sorcerer had the wrong view of salvation. Uh, I believe this is called soteriology. For everybody who likes long words, why don't we just say salvation? The Holy Spirit had revealed Simon's heart problem to Peter. And Peter responded to the discernment of the Holy Spirit uh, that he had given him regarding Simon. And as with anybody else that Peter met, Peter, Peter's consistent advice to any sinner was to repent and beg the Lord for forgiveness. Just because you ask God for forgiveness doesn't automatically guarantee that God's going to forgive you because he's looking at your heart. Are you serious about that? Do you really want to give up what you know is wrong? Now, if we... Okay, I came out of this religion a while ago, and every Friday we would go in and confess our sins. Oh, yeah, let's just say a couple of these prayers. And, uh, and we say, oh, I'm, for I'm forgiven. Was there... A Repentance in my heart? No. <laughs> I was planning on doing the very same thing, maybe even later that night. It, no, it, it, the point is that you've got to be serious about it. God looks at your heart. So in Acts uh, 8, and we're going to go on, uh, you know, if you've got your Bibles open there, the verses 22 and 23, Peter said, Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. 
For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. So without confessing and repenting of our sin, we have no promise that God will forgive our sin. But Simon's response was, oh, this is really condescending. You gotta understand this, verse 24. But pray, please pray, this is Simon telling Peter, please pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Simon didn't recognize that his sin, didn't recognize his sin, and didn't feel a need to confess his sin or even pray for forgiveness. Essentially, he said, if it'll make you feel better, you can pray for me. I don't know whether you have relatives like that. You know, you've tried to explain to them what, what salvation is, and they say, well, pray for me. Well, I, you know, I can pray that God will move in your heart, but unless you move, back toward God. That's not going to happen. You are the one that needs to pray. Just like, you know, each one of us, we have to get serious before God. John 1, 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Some people uh, don't think they sin. It's always somebody else's fault. We can always blame it on somebody else. Well, I wouldn't have done that if so-and-so hadn't done this or that or the other thing, so it's not my fault. So not recognizing the sin, Simon looked at salvation as something unnecessary. Simon's view of God kept him from receiving the free gift of salvation. Many today think that they can add the benefits of God to an unchanged style of living, just as Simon did. I'm good at what I do. All you need is just a little bit more from you. Uh, I'm, our family is basically okay, but I'm having trouble with my teenager. Uh, God, I, I need a little help from you. I'm not going to change, but you know, I want you to make things easier for me, whatever. So we ignore the fact that God wants complete control of our lives. Now, we read this before, but we're going to do it again. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. <coughs> For this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So Simon was interested in a small change, not a radical change. He didn't understand salvation. Simon's faith was based on a wrong view of God, a wrong view of man, a wrong view of sin, and a wrong view of salvation. He didn't have a chance, did he? He was really out in left field. Peter recognized this, and it's something we, each of us, needs to look back and examine in ourselves to say, do I really understand God? Do I really understand myself? Do I really understand sin? Do I really understand what God offers to me? Since none of us is perfect, we must also have views that are wrong. I, I can be wrong. Duh. You know, I mean, ask Mary Ann. <laughs> She'll tell you sometimes when I'm wrong. And, and it what we ought to do is we ought to look for things that we do wrong. That, that's Christianity. It's not that I'm going to lose my, I, I'm going to go to hell because I do something wrong. I need to look at something I do wrong as something good. Now, here's why. <clears throat> if we ask the Holy Spirit, he'll help us understand too. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. I'm jumping ahead a few verses. I don't know who's doing that. <clears throat> uh, Psalm 139, jump ahead. Uh, search me, God, know my heart, test me, and know my concerns. See if there is any wicked way in me. Lead me into the everlasting way. Now, why do I want to know that? Why do I not want to know what's wrong? Well, <clears throat> the scripture, uh, I want to go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 next. I don't know how they keep up with, with people. 
pastors down here when all of a sudden they change their minds. <clears throat> First Timothy, or Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. Teaching is that word doctrine. Doctrine is what's right. Not only for teaching, but for rebuking. Rebuking is what's wrong. So the Bible tells me what's right. The Holy Spirit is going to tell me what's wrong. <clears throat> Not only for teaching, for rebuking, but for correcting. So God's going to tell me how to get it right. I don't have the mind of, of Christ, so I need to get my mind changed by the renewing, uh, renewing my mind by the, by the, uh, the Word of God. I'm not finished yet, because I need training in righteousness, and that's how to keep it right. Don't think that because you got victory over something once that that's it. We need to keep training. Uh, football players don't just play football 15 minutes. By the way, that's about how much time they really play in an hour's worth of football is about 15 minutes. They don't just play football for 15 minutes. All week they are working so that things become second nature to them, and that's what we need to be doing as children of God. Why? In verse 17 there, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, women, but that doesn't mean just the men. <laughs> that means all of us. Uh, so that we can be complete, equipped for every good work. So let's pray together that we would allow God to lead us step by step towards spiritual maturity in preparation for an eternity in his presence. It doesn't start then, it starts now. To have that, not just a spiritual relationship, but a close spiritual relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd work in us with this word, that it might be clear to us that we are dependent completely on you. And Lord, you have so many promises for us that everything will work to good for your glory if we just put our, our faith in you and our, our complete uh, uh, direction provided by you. So, Lord, we, we just pray that you'd work on us this day, throughout the week, throughout the rest of our lives. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.